0: Ladies and gentlemen, in the red
1: corner, hailing from the state of Nevada, representing the steam and wise guys, it's the always feared Vegas Oddsmaker. And in the blue corner, the crowd favorite from South Florida, mark, winning picks, Lawrence. And now,
2: Hi, everybody. Welcome back once again. This is Mark Lawrence along with Victor King from King Creole Sports. Andy Isco joining us from TheLogicalApproach.com and our good friend Jim Feist, the legend in Las Vegas, as we're all set to go against the spread on this week's NFL football card. We'll talk a little bit about the college football upcoming playoff as well. invite you to sit back, relax, tune in, and keep your pens and pencils handy because we've got a lot of great winning information coming your way. And Victor... uh, First of all, deepest of condolences. I want to pass that along to you, the crew, and everybody else. I know you went, you're going through a real, real tough time. You're a real, real close friend, a real soldier, and uh, my heart is really open to you. And uh, just do me a favor when you go up to Cleveland, wrap your arms around your family and give them a big hug for me. Okay?
3: I'll, I'll definitely do that, Mark. I uh, appreciate those thoughts. Uh, Father Gus passed away over the weekend. We knew it was coming. Uh, he was in hospice care. He was 94 years old. He suffered oh. suffered a stroke about 10 days ago. Uh, but we knew it was coming. And uh, yeah, it's been a rough summer. Mom passed away in May. My brother my brother passed away two weeks after that. And mm-hmm. all summer long, you know, dad was talking. I mean, he was just totally lost. And he had been talking all summer long about wanting to totally let go. I mean, it you know what that means, so that he could be with his wife, his spouse. And you know, losing—I mean, I mean, yeah—it's tough for the kids, obviously, but it was much, much tougher for my father losing his spouse, man. I bet, I, and navigating the grief that comes with it—it's exhausting mentally, it's exhausting physically—and for my dad, that exhaustion gave out after five months, and uh, it took a long period of pain, grief, and anguish. But, Dad, you, you finally got your wish. You're going to be laying down next to Mom uh, in a few days. And, yeah, Sandy and I are heading to Ohio. Thank you again, Mark. Thank you very much for your understanding, your love between you and Colleen. Um, it, it's been wonderful. Uh, we're going to take a week off. We'll be in Cleveland next week at this time. So we'll be taking a bye week in terms of the podcast. And we'll even be taking a break from doing the t- Totals tip sheet next week. But I guarantee you this, we will be back in two weeks with a Christmas issue of the Totals tip sheet newsletter. But we need uh, seven or eight days to uh, clear our heads, to process right. our grief, and to uh, see what life holds next for all of us. You know, it's our original King family uh, was six people in it, mom, dad. And the four boys, Kurt, Victor, Bob, and Norm. And in a very short period, that family of six is down to just three. And that's that's tough to take, and it's a little bit unsettling as well. But again, uh, we'll be back in a couple of weeks. We'll head up to Ohio. We'll give everybody a hug from uh, Mark and Colleen. All of us. And All of us. From my buddies here on the podcast as well. Thank you guys very, very much. With that said, Mark, it is great that we can still focus on football because we can compartmentalize that grief and still do our jobs, which is this week finding some more winners in the NFL, preparing for the college bowl games, and maybe even watching one of those uh, military games this weekend that tend to go under the total at such a high a percentage.
2: Well, well said, Victor, uh, well said indeed. Uh- at least we know that Gus is resting in peace right now, and that's really all that counts. Thank you. Thanks. And as Victor mentioned, we can get on the football now, and we're going to do just that on the show this week. We're not going to be talking much about the college bowl games. That's going to be our next podcast when we're going to get into it and break it down pretty heavily. The, college, uh, the playbook, I should say, college bowl guide will be coming out next Wednesday. So we'll be working around the clock from today until then to produce that college bowl guide. Of which, by the way, if you haven't got a copy or haven't seen it, the last two years, all winning sides, not best bets, not recommended plays, it's all winning sides, 70% against the spread. It's been absolutely phenomenal, and we're looking forward to putting that together again this year. So it's Check out the website, playbooksports.com. It might even be Tuesday. It just depends upon whether I get any sleep or not, or the crew as well. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So with that, guys, before we get into the NFL football card, let's hit a little bit upon how the college bowl games got to be where they are right now with the final college bowl rankings. And uh, I'll start it off and I want to pass it around to everybody. But uh, Ryan Dunleavy, uh, Greg and I, we've done a couple of shows together in the past. He's a, he's a terrific columnist for the New York post. He covers the New York sports teams and he's got a real road savvy way of writing about him. And I think he put it best when he talked about the college football pairings. He said that neither the four most deserving nor the four best teams made it. And that's basically what it was all about with the college football final rankings this year. Uh, People will argue until the cows come home about the injustices that happened in the in the rankings, and there were many. It just depends upon your flavor, your point of view, what you like, what you don't like. In my own personal opinion, I think the biggest injustice was Georgia not making the playoffs. It's a football team that lost one game in the last three years, and that one game came in the Southeast Conference title game when they were just nipped in the end. Uh, but that's the way that cookie crumbles, I guess uh, you could say, uh, I'll share with you my four teams that I would have put in there, and then I'm going to pass it around and see what you guys your guys' take is. But I think the four best teams would have looked like, to me, Michigan, Alabama, Georgia, and Ohio State. Uh, and the, if you take a look at the Las Vegas power rankings or ratings, we use Kenny White Sports, and Kenny does a great job. Kenny was an odds maker in Las Vegas for a long while, and they used uh, Las Vegas sports consultants for their lines, their opening lines and so forth and moving, moving on. Well, he's doing the same thing right now with his Kenny weight power ratings. And we put them in the playbook, football and basketball newsletters. We're great to have Kenny be a part of all of this. Well, his top four seeds, according to the Kenny weight power rankings would be number one, Alabama, number two, Michigan, number three, Georgia, and number four, Oregon. Now we all know Oregon is not making the playoffs with two losses, but that's the way it all ends. Power rates out, at least in Las Vegas, according to Kenny White. Andy, your take on what happened in the college football rankings this past weekend.
4: Well, I kind of agree with what the committee did, but I can see the argument for Florida State, especially when you always see the committee's criterion. They always put conference champion at the top. That doesn't mean it's the most important. It's the first one they think of. So Florida State being unbeaten, certainly could make a case for, uh, for being in there. And by the way, and I've made this going back years and years, it's not a college football playoff. It's a college football invitational. You have to be invited to participate. Now, we're going to ease that a little bit next year, in fact, quite a bit next year when they have a 12-team, quote-unquote, playoff, because you'll be arguing about which two-loss team was being left out. Not which one lost team or even an unbeaten team. So that'll resolve that somewhat next year. Uh, But as far as it goes, I could make a case that Florida State did not deserve to be in there because of the loss of uh, uh, the quarterback and the fact that they struggled offensively in the last two games, especially the game against Louisville, and the fact that the ACC was arguably the weakest of the five major conferences this year. Clemson was down, Miami was down. North Carolina was not as good as expected. You really didn't have the elite teams. You know, maybe if you had if you counted Notre Dame as a member of the ACC, because they play so many ACC games. And of course they're a member in basketball. Then you can make a case that maybe it was a decent conference. So I, I, I still would have preferred to see Florida state in there because they really did every, you can you can't control who you play. You can't control how good the other members of your conference are. But at the same time, I could also understand the committee, maybe not coming out loud and saying it, but in the back of their minds is, you know what? We're not sure. Maybe, maybe, uh, without the quarterback, Florida state is, uh, Iowa 2.0 on offense, and we don't want to take the chance of what was it a 65 to 7 blowout with Georgia over TCU last year, uh, because the ratings were not very good for that. Certainly compared to previous games that were more competitive. Georgia's a different issue because you could make the case, you know, Georgia beat Alabama. Texas beat. Uh, Al, uh, I mean, Georgia. Alabama beat Georgia. Texas beat Alabama. Georgia and Texas didn't play, so I could make a, l- a little bit of a stronger case. But then, do you leave out Washington, who beat a very highly ranked Oregon team not once but twice? And you certainly, it's hard to ignore Michigan. Although Michigan did not play that difficult of a schedule, at the you know at, at the same time, you know the Pac-12 teams and some of the other look even Alabama and Georgia played an FCS team during the course of the season, which, you know, they probably win if they play, you know, like a ball state or somebody instead of the FCS team, but still that's something that negates it. So I understand what the committee did. I probably have mixed feelings about leaving out both Florida State just on principle
3: and Georgia based on talent.
2: Victor, what's your take on what happened, how that all came down?
3: You know, uh, guys, I, I might be one of the few people in the country who kind of agree with these final four rankings uh, compared to everybody else that I'm hearing in the uh, media and things like that. I, I say that because I'm a big, uh, number one, I'm a big, uh, I do follow Mike White's power rankings, but I also follow Jeff Sagrin's power rankings, and uh, I think he does a fine job as well. And, and, and if we base some of these rankings on pure strength of schedule, then there are two teams that definitely deserve to be there, and that's Texas and Washington, and they are there. Texas played the fourth toughest strength of schedule in the entire country, and Washington was the fifth difficult, most difficult schedule. Texas went six and one against top thirty teams this season, and Washington went six and zero. Oh. So I'm in agreeing with both of those. Uh, Michigan, while you say uh, didn't play a great schedule, I would agree with that. At least versus top ten teams this season, they did go a perfect two and zero, oh, and I think they, they should be there as well. And the final team, Alabama, was also a top 10 most difficult schedule this season and went 5-1 and one against the top 30 teams. So, guys, I'm one of the few that kind of agrees that where we are at. But I am looking forward to that twelve team next season.
2: I am too, and I think the rest of the country is as well. You know, all this talk we're talking about now will be a moot point come next year. We'll be talking about the 13, 14, the fifteen teams that didn't make it in the playoffs. <laughs> right. Uh, Jim, what's your take on all this stuff and how what shook out in the college football playoff ranking, the final four teams in the college football ranking in the history of the playoff?
0: Well, I, more, I agree mo- mostly with what Victor said. Um, and I also agree with what you said earlier, uh, that Georgia has a bigger argument. I mean, this is a defending national champ. Uh, well, they lost one game. Uh, I can't, I really can't make a case for Florida State the way they played their last two games. They played Cre- cream puff uh, team in, in Louisville. They looked horrible in beating them. They, it, you know, if you're looking to have the best teams in, we're closer that to that now than if we were to put Florida State in there. And, and that's sort of where I got Georgia. I think has a, a damn good argument why they should be there, but I definitely think Washington and Texas and Michigan and Alabama deserve to be there. So th- it's the difficult situation where you're limited to four. And like Andy said, it's an invitational. You have to be invited.
2: Well, good point. Um, good points, Jim. I, especially about the Florida state. Uh, if they're there in the final four, it rather dampens it in my eye not the fact that they were undefeated, just the fact of who they are. Uh, I don't think that they perform to the level of everybody else, especially when the quarterback went out the last two football games. And that was apparent. There's, they just completely disappeared statistically. Uh, so I think we, uh, like Victor says, we did a pretty good job on who we've got playing in this college football playoff. And I know there'll be a lot of eyes all around the country watching that. And By, by maybe, the way, Mark, yes? I
4: would just want to interject a couple of things. this is a little bit of an aside how about LSU being the best three loss team of all time when you consider they lost to uh, uh, the uh, Florida's unbeaten Florida state, they lost to Alabama and they lost to a two, lo- two, uh, uh, two loss Ole Miss team uh, this year. But uh, as far as uh, a couple of thoughts, no, number one, this is a general thought and maybe we'll get into it next, next week, but you and Jim would probably have a lot of experience on this. When you see the bowl matchups, Do you, before you look at the lines, do you take a look at the matchups and sort of say just intuitively what side you'd like to play if the number is right? And then, number two, and this applies to one of those bowl games Georgia versus Florida State. Which team is likely to be out there to prove that the committee made a mistake? Is it Florida State saying you disrespected an unbeaten team, even without a quarterback? Or do you say, or does Georgia come out there and say, well, the committee disrespected us despite the fact that we've won 29 of our last 30 games and we deserve to be there ahead of, and they don't have to name whatever other team they want to say.
2: Well, all I can say, Andy, is I know that if Georgia and Florida State played each other, the two teams that a lot of the argument is about, Georgia would be been probably a 14-point favorite in the football game.
4: Well, they are but- favored, I think, by that over, over – uh, <laughs> uh, over Florida, Florida State, State. In, in, in their bowl game.
2: Exactly right. So that's I think that says it all. A 14-point favorite amongst the two teams that uh, are crying that they should have been in the bowl game, or in the playoff anyway. Uh, so all points taken aside, I think the committee did a rather decent job. And uh, I was really glad that Alabama made the playoff. I think they, they played well enough all season long. They won the games they needed to win. They had that Auburn miracle somewhere along the line. Everybody wins a game that perhaps they shouldn't have. And it ends up being an impetus and spurs them on and moves them forward. And it did that for Alabama in the Georgia football game. So we'll see what we've got. Uh, I think it's going to be a really, really good college football playoff here. And once again, a reminder, the Playbook College Bowl Guide, you want to order it now online at playbooksports.com. You're tuned in to Mark Lawrence Against the Spread, the nation's most popular sports handicapping talk show. Let's move over, guys, to our NFL game of the week. One and only game of the week this week because we're talking about only the NFL this football week. It's being brought to you by our good friends at uwager.lv, where every Friday night it's minus 105 juice. Every game you bet all weekend long, you lay only minus 105 for the juice. Same day payouts, check it all out online at youwager.lv or give them a call toll free at one 800 uwager Victor, we're going to go into a pretty good looking football game this weekend here. The Buffalo Bills, the Kansas City Chiefs, I think before the season began, if you took a straw poll amongst all the major rabid NFL football fans, these are probably the two teams that were most likely, I think people would have voted on to be playing in the AFC championship game. Now, it's not looking like it's not going to happen here, at least for Buffalo. They're coming in here as a six and six football team, and the Chiefs are reeling a bit themselves. But what do you see that's going on in this football game between Buffalo and KC on Sunday?
3: I haven't had a ton of time to look at this particular game, guys. Um, in the NFL, hey, we got to talk about last week. I mean, it was very, very exciting. For once in the NFL, we had multiple games in which there was like 50 or more combined points. Uh, nine and four was the over-under record last week as well. A lot of people are calling it the revenge of the overs. And in fact, it's the first two-week period this all season long in which there were more overs and unders. Nine and seven two weeks ago, nine and four last week. Overs are now 18 and 11 in the last two weeks uh, in the NFL. Again, uh, bookended by 76 points in the Thursday night Dallas Seattle game. And then the second highest scoring game was the Monday night game between Cincinnati and Jacksonville, a game that turned into basically a battle of uh, backup quarterbacks, but still very, very high scoring. The one more thing I want to mention before we get to this Buffalo KC game is the fact that all three of the NFL primetime games last week went over. We've been talking about them as underlocks all season long. The worm might be starting to turn, but the Thursday night game, the Sunday night game, the Monday night game all went over. We'll see what happens once we get into this month of December. And you know, prior to the show, Jim was talking about some of these low over underlines this week in the NFL. Hell, we got two games that are in the range of 31 or less Cleveland, Jacksonville, and of course, the Thursday night game between the Patriots and the Steelers. We're in uncharted waters here in regards to these low over underlines. Uh, obviously, the reason is the poor quarterbacking play, the fact that uh, defenses are still having a better year than offenses. But not only that, we're getting into December. Bad Mm -hmm. weather in the Northeast. In fact, I was just looking at the NFL, one of the NFL weather websites, guys, and there are five outdoor games on Sunday in the 1 o'clock kickoffs, and weather is going to play a part in the outcome of that game in all five cases, where it's either really high extreme winds or nasty, nasty rain in all five of the Sunday early kickoff outdoor games. Uh, The over-under lines in all of those games, extremely low. In fact, the average over-under line this week in the NFL is right now at 40.1. That's easily the lowest of the season uh, in terms of the NFL. Kind of ironic after a week in which overs went 9-4 and that there are so many Low line games this particular week, guys. Um, you know, one, one yeah. of the things I I look at to begin the week is I I try
0: to get the advanced weather because I know it's not it's not what everybody looks at right away. But I I do, and I go when I do that, I'm gambling that the weatherman is right, and I I know that maybe more times than not he's he's not right, but I take advanced positions. In doing that so for example i went under 40 with the browns and jaguars beautiful now i can go over 31 right or 30 and a half what a middle
3: jim outstanding
0: now you know i don't always middle it's not my it's not my cup of tea to do that but i love my position as it is so i feel like trying to middle it sometimes i'm trying to give money back i'm I'm really not tr- always trying to win both sides. There's some cases when it gets too big, I have to kind of do it. Well, that's, that's pretty
2: big, short. Jim. Forty and th- uh, thirty-one. That's,
0: that's, that's damn big. Uh, you know, and right. I could easily take. I could easily take the thirty and and buy the half point, and just go for thirty-one and a half or thirty and a half. Excuse me, and make it thirty. But that you know, you look at these games, the Rams Ravens, another bad weather game, forty-four and a half down to forty. Uh, you, you know it, it's uh, right over here the Tampa well that's not too much of a difference but um, you got 38 and a half to 33 in the Jets Texans game right uh, you have these positions and like Victor said it's all northeast and you get a, you guys are mostly of I mean some of you guys are from Cleveland I go there a lot and you get that weather what do they call a lake
2: lake it's effect or, yeah
0: lake effect. And so you have these teams that are around that Bengals. Uh, well, Buffalo's not at home because they would be affected. But Kansas City, we talk about Kansas. You just mentioned Kansas City. There's bad weather in Kansas. That can't, there's going to be some bad weather there as well. And neither one of those teams are as efficient this year offensively as they had been in past years. So looking at 48 and a half, there I have not played that game because it's basically a little bit higher than an open. That's a possible game that I might play under, just on the merits of the how the teams are playing, and the weather also will have an effect.
2: Well, Victor, how do you see this game shaking off from an over/under standpoint? The Bills and the Chiefs on its merit.
3: Great, great segue, Jim. As that is, of course, our NFL game of the week: Buffalo versus Kansas City. Of course, Buffalo coming in off a of bye. Kansas City, uh, kind of uh, what shit the bread last week. Uh, Big time road favorite. <laughs> lost to a hot uh, Green Bay Packers team. But Jim's right about one thing. Both of these teams are um, not putting up the offensive numbers that they usually do, particularly Kansas City. In fact, their team scoring is down almost a full touchdown a game. They were around 29 points per game last year, and they're at, what, 22.3 on this season. So they are hurting, but as bad as their offensive numbers have gone down, their defense has improved that much. And Buffalo as well as they are starting to get healthier and healthier. Now, the uh, Jim mentioned we're somewhere around 48, 48 and a half. That would be the lowest over underline in the last five meetings of this series: Buffalo versus KC. The last five games we've seen 54, 54, 57, 55, and 55. Well, Those were the over/under lines in the last five between these two teams, and uh, three out of the last—right, <laughs> three out of the last four have indeed gone over the total. That included that wild, of uh, course, playoff game in Kansas City. I think the score was forty-two to thirty-six. But three out of the last four meetings have indeed gone over. This is the lowest line we've seen in about uh, oh six meetings at 47.5 to 48.5 between these two. And, uh, again, you got to point out the fact that we've got two very good defenses here. In fact, two top five defenses in terms of uh, points allowed on the season. Kansas City allowing only 17.3. That is a big-time improvement from last year for the Chiefs. And not only that, but the Chiefs are one of the better under home teams this season. they played five home games already. Only one game has gone over. Four have gone under average points uh, in those home games. According to my uh, totals tip sheet, his newsletter 41.3 for Kansas City. Buffalo, on the other hand, one of the better road under teams this season at two and four over under. Jim mentioned potential weather issues as well. So uh, there, there is a couple overs I like. This is not one of them. I think there's value on the under. There's defensive improvement. This is not the Kansas City Chiefs offense of old. And the final factor is the fact that um, I mentioned this in the totals tip sheet as well. With Buffalo being one of the teams coming in off their bye, I've got those numbers right. Yes. Here. Teams off their bye week this season have now gone 5-18-1, five, five overs, 18 unders, one tie. That's 78% under the total. There were six teams who were off last week. So uh, we'll look to go low in Buffalo, Kansas City, who is one of those teams, again, that did not play last week, Buffalo Bills.
2: Victor going low in the Buffalo, Kansas City game for his side in the football contest. Andy, how do you see this game playing? You think it's going to play like an NFL playoff game, even though maybe Buffalo doesn't bring that credential to the table? just yet or you think uh this will be kind of a football game that both teams are struggling in we don't know what's going to happen
4: it could be a little bit of both because i do think we'll see the uh playoff type intensity because although kansas city is eight and four you know they have designs on uh, getting that number one seed and uh, they've got some work to do at the same time buffalo at six and six you know they might be able to afford one more loss if they want to get it as a wild card. I don't think they catch Miami, but uh, they uh, you know, there's a lot of competition, one slip-up. you know. And you look at Buffalo's schedule coming up. Uh, they are off their bye. They are at the Chiefs. Then they host the Cowboys the following week. They're at the Chargers after that. Then they have what should be a win at home against the Patriots. And then they end the season... At Miami, and we don't know if Miami will be resting players because they have the number one, they have the uh, number, excuse me, they can't get the number one seed, so they know they'll be playing in the wild card round. Or maybe they will be resting, maybe they will have to be playing players because they do have to play that following week or versus, uh. uh being able to rest players because they don't need to have anything to play for. Uh, It's going to be tough for uh, Buffalo. My first look at this game was Buffalo, but I wanted to get at least plus three in the game. And that line's been moving the other way. I've seen it down to one and a half and two in some places right now. Uh, But I, but the other thought I had also in looking at this game from a total standpoint, uh, I'm with the under, uh, basically, all the way. Victor mentioned most of the uh, of of the uh, of the salient points, including the scoring, which is down this year for both teams offensively and very solid defensively. Buffalo and Kansas City combined average uh, roughly 50.2 points per game, which is barely above the uh, the total for the contest. But when you look at what they're allowing defensively, which is what I like to look at more so than what they score. Because the scoring averages, you know, you factor, uh, you know, Miami seventy points in against Denver in their scoring average of the season. It's going to be highly inflated by several points just because of that one game. When you look at defense, you know, you can't allow any less than zero. So you're going to have numbers that are a lot uh, more meaningful when you've got the kind of season numbers. 18.9 18.9 points per game for Buffalo, 17.3 for Kansas City. That's 36-point-something, okay? That's more than a full touchdown, almost two full touchdowns below this total. I've got to look under, especially given the importance of this game with playoff implications for both. I think both teams are going to try and control the football, limit the number of possessions in this game, and most importantly,
0: look to avoid turnovers.
2: And he looks you, it like a look playoff game between Buffalo and Kansas Buffalo City this playing year. this weekend. I
0: know we have Josh Allen there with a very big arm, and he can throw the ball at a full football field. But their intended air yards for Buffalo this year is way down. Yep. Uh, incredibly down. Uh, he's uh, he's more of a dink and dunk. It's not because, but well, he might have a shoulder problem. It's possible but they have gone a little bit more conservative on the offensive end. They're not pushing the ball down the field like they were in the past, in past years. And that's happening with Kansas city as well. And I think it's mostly because of their wide receivers are not very, yeah. very efficient. I mean, we've all seen the, the they how they drop the ball, they lead the league and drop passes. So it's, it's a whole different situation. This, these two teams are not what we saw the last four or five
2: years. You know, I started with Andy in this football game. I was looking at Buffalo looking to take three points, and uh, it's not there. And I'm sort of surprised at that because what you have is Kansas City at home off of an embarrassing loss. I'm sorry if I'm not responding, but I can't hear Mark. Oh, okay. I'll give you some some sign language, Jim. <laughs> uh, but nonetheless, I say Kansas City's off a loss coming into the football game. But what st- stood out to me is this. And I like to do this with uh, with good teams that are playing underachieving, and they're at 500 exactly on the season here. And so they're in games where their record is 500. They become pivotal football games. They're either going to become a losing team or a winning team after this football game, and it will likely decide which path they're going to take moving forward. Well, we have that with Buffalo at 6-6 six and six in the football season here. And looking at Josh Allen in his career with Buffalo, he's been with the Bills in – three games in which the Bills have had an exactly 500 record in the season. He's won and covered all three of those football games to move them where they needed to be to become a winning team. Uh, but I'm looking at Patrick Mahomes here on the other side, and this is kind of interesting here as well. Patrick Mahomes, the last football game, he played poorly. He'll admit it. He'll be the first to admit it. He had a quarterback rating of 79.1 in the football game. He started 106 games in his career. 88 of those football games he's had – Passer ratings of 80 or higher. That means 18 times only he's been under 80 for his passer rating in those games. And you might want to not be in front of Kansas City and Patrick Mahomes after he's done that because he really, really makes amends the next football game. He's 12 and three straight up and 11 and four to the spread in follow-up football games, including 8 and 0 straight up into the number. The last eight times Mahomes has delivered a passer rating of less than 80 in his National Football League career. So I'm looking at this here now, and all of a sudden, maybe, maybe it's a good thing for me that the plus three isn't out there uh, because I'm certainly not going to play anything less than that in this football game. And you have to also be aware of those Patrick Mahomes numbers here as well. I think it's a real tough handicap personally, but uh, I think Victor's on on the right side in this football game with his total for the side in the football game as well.
4: By the way, Buffalo's six losses this year, all by six points or less. So, they don't even have a blemish like uh, the Eagles got last week when they lost to the 49ers big, or Dallas did the same thing. They've been competitive in those games uh, all year. They just come up on the wrong side, not being able to make, make the big play. So this should be a hard-fought game, And uh, like, uh, like you and Victor, and I think Jim as well, looking under before I look at any other play in the game.
2: Okay, guys, uh, you're tuned in to Mark Lawrence Against the Spread, the nation's most popular sports handicapping talk show. And with that, we're going to preview Jim Feist's preview on the National Football League card this week, as he does each and every week. Greg, if you do us the honors, Jim Feist's preview on the NFL card this week.
0: Good morning, everybody. Here it is uh, Tuesday morning. We just watched um, the Bengals upset. The Jaguars that was a surprise I don't think anyone expected Browning to uh, go 32 out of 37 which was absolutely an incredible performance obviously this young man has more talent than uh, has been used over the years he's been around the league for three or four years and hasn't played very much at all but uh, hats off to their coaching staff getting him ready to do that that was amazing um, I expected it to go under. I was really wrong about that. I started the week off um, not too bad on Thursday, but my side plays on the Broncos and the Steelers did not work out. But then I came back with three winners later in the day, big winner on uh, San Francisco and uh, two others. So I ended up three and two on the sides for Sunday, which was good. Now onto this week, I'm pretty excited about this. Now, let me just say this right up front. We're having a lot of projected bad weather on the, especially on the East Coast, the lake regions, which would be Cincinnati, Cleveland. Uh, You go down into the Ravens, you're gonna have Kansas City's gonna have bad weather. Anything in New York, the Jets, it, it's it's going to be a bad weather week. It looks like the worst week we've had so far, if the weather forecast holds up. And now being Tuesday, when I'm doing this video, what's it going to be like on Sunday? We can't 100% be sure of that. But keep your eye open. I went immediately went in and played a lot of unders on this, just on the chance that the weather report would be correct. And if I'm wrong... I'll make adjustments later in the week, but at least I got ahead of it. So that is a strategy that I do use occasionally. We got um, the Rams heading east to play the Ravens. This could be the bad one of the bad weather games. You've got the Rams coming out of L.A., going all the way to Baltimore. That's a long trip, early morning start. Rams are playing well, but they... They are lacking in a lot of positions. Uh, the game opened eights down to seven, 44 and a half down to 41 or 40 and a half. That's part, partially due to the weather issues. A lot of money has come in on the unders. Lines at the Bears. This is definitely a weather game. The total open 46 and a half, 40 now. Uh, the Bears played them uh, very well the first time around. If there's bad weather, it's going to depend on the running game. It's hard to run on Chicago. This is going to be a tough one. Panthers at the Saints. You got the Saints with is- issues, a quarterback car. I don't think there's much of a drop off from Carr to Jameis Winston, honestly. Um, Panthers, they suck. They're not really good at all. Um, they can squeeze in a, a cover here and there. A lot of a lot of people bet these teams. They bet the Jets. They bet the Panthers. Uh, These are bad, 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 bad football teams. We've got a lot of bad football teams. Now, the Buccaneers are playing at the Falcons. These are two marginal teams as well. Um, You know, Atlanta is 6-6. They could easily win this division that they're in against Buccaneers here. Buccaneers have issues, a lot of injuries. Game is down to 39 and a half. Oh, by the way, the Panthers and Saints, 37 and a half. Um, Colts at the Bengals. Now, this is interesting because Browning is kind of an unknown. We really haven't seen enough of him to know that he can go out there and repeat that performance that he had on Monday night. But the Colts are a marginal team, 7 and 5 on the season. I'm not impressed with much that they do, and – And now they're down to the one running back, which is, he's very good, but they lost the other guy, Taylor. Colts are one, 40 and a half. This is at Cincinnati. This is a lakefront game. So you might have issues with the weather. Very possible. Texans at the Jets. I don't know what's going on with the Jets. Uh, They have quarterback issues. And rumor has it they offered the quarterback spot back to Zach. Wilson, he declined it. I don't know if that's true. You hear it on the internet. Not everything on the internet is accurate. The total went from 38.5 down to 33. Hard to believe the NFL games go this low, but uh, we got one game on Thursday. I think it's Pittsburgh and New England. I think it's going to probably end up being 29, 29 29.5. It's at 30 now. But anyway, we go there. The the Texans uh, easily could win this division, especially if the Jaguars are... Down uh, a quarterback, uh, you know, Lawrence got hurt last night. I don't know how serious it is yet. But the Texans are 6-33 and 33 at the Jets. Seahawks taking 10.5 from the 49ers. The total's gone from 44 to 47. Not too many times again the totals these days go up. This one's gone up. We also what the Niners could do. They can destroy teams. If they're into it, they've got the talent. They got the coaching. They are the best team in football. However, they are thin at some positions. So if they're not healthy on the offensive line, uh, they lose Debo Samuel or McC- if CMC, or the quarterback Purdy, who's absolutely been incredible. They are thin, but uh, when they're healthy, there's nobody that can play with them if they're focused. 10 and a half point line there. Um, the Vikings, one and a half up to three at the Raiders. I don't know much to say about this one. The Broncos at the Chargers, the Chargers three. I see a two and a half. Also, the total is 44. Uh, Broncos are terrible. They should have fired this coach years ago. I don't think Russell Wilson is that good anymore. I know that he had the five game winning streak. He just doesn't look right to me. I, I know he, he he can still play, he's still smart, he's a talented guy, but he dropped off the map. He just doesn't look like he has the spark. But in this kind of a game, division game, on the road, they just come off the loss to the Texans. Well, they could have come back and won that, but they started that game off so bad. You don't know what you're going to get. I expect the Broncos will back bounce back here I just... They have uh, the coach, definitely a coaching edge in this game. The Bills at the Chiefs. This is going to be another weather game. Uh, the total is uh, down to 47 and a half at open 48. The Chiefs are not the Chiefs of old. You can't look at this team. They're not They're not explosive. Their wide receivers are, are very marginal. Uh, this is an off year for the Chiefs. But when you have Mahomes and you have Andy Reid, you got Kelsey. Uh, anything can happen. They can turn it around. But this is a big game for the Bills. Six and six on the season. Chiefs are eight and four. Bills absolutely need to start winning some games. And uh, this might be the spot. But the weather is going to be bad. But Buffalo knows how, to, knows how to deal with bad weather. So do the Chiefs. Eagles at the Cowboys. Game of the week. Cowboys are three and a half. That's right, three and a half over the Eagles. But the Eagles have not played well, except for their their fourth quarter play in the three previous games. And then they started out pretty good against San Francisco in the first quarter, but the rest of the game, they were horrible. This is not the same Eagles team that we went to the Super Bowl last year. They lost a defensive coordinator. They lost an offensive coordinator. They have some injuries here and there. Everybody does at this time of the year. The total in this game, 48 and a half, up to 53 Cowboys have not shown that they can beat quality teams, like Miami. They haven't shown that they can beat quality teams either. They have offensive explosion. They can score a lot of points. But when they get get up against quality teams, they haven't done that well. However, this is a division game, and the Cowboys had played the Eagles earlier. And I thought the Cowboys should have won the game. They actually moved the ball they could they got a lot of things done. I'm not going to lay three and a half points with the Cowboys here. I think I think this is going to be a game they could easily win. I'm not doing anything with this game at this point. obviously it's indoors. it's not a weather game at all and then we go we want to look at some of these. We have two Monday night games this week, and um Let's see if I can find it on my screen. Here we go. Titans at the at the Dolphins. The Titans have some injury issues, um, and um, you got to you got to really look at this. This game's eleven and a half up to thirteen. The Dolphins can they can boat race you. I mean, they can put up a lot of points, do a lot of damage. Forty seven and a half is the total now, up from forty four. I don't know with the rookie quarterback, Titans. uh, can handle this, but I'm not laying, I'm not laying 13 points in this spot. The Green Bay Packers, this is a story here. We've got some quarterbacks that are starting to show that they have more talent than a lot of us fail to give them credit for. And this is one of those spots. Uh, We could talk about DeVito on the other side because he's actually pulled off a couple of good games Tommy DeVito, never thought I'd be saying that, but he's actually looked decent. But, love uh, for the Packers. It's been incredible. And um, they just knocked off the Chiefs. I mean, this team is playing really well. I'm not laying six and a half on the road with this club. I probably would have to look at the under, under 37. You could get bad weather in New York on Monday. I don't have the weather report for this game yet. But it is in New York, and they do get some bad weather, and that stadium is kind of flunky. Uh, Wind can or cannot affect in there the way it's set up. But uh, I would look at the under. I would not lay the points here. And you you might end up looking at the Giants. But uh, a lot of great stories out there. We fail to acknowledge that some of these teams will get better as the season goes along. Obviously there are some bad teams out there and uh, Belichick needs to uh, dis- consider retiring. The Chargers need to consider firing their coach, but they they don't like to spend any money. So I guess they they got him on cheap and uh, they're happy with just uh, losing. Anyway, There's a lot of stories out there in the NFL. We got the college football playoffs coming up, some big games, the controversy with FSU. Some people think it was right. They got the four best teams in. Some people think it's wrong because they swept the board and they should have been. And so whatever side of that argument you're involved with, I'm not getting into it. Anyway, have a good one. We'll talk to you soon.
2: On the money once again, Jim Feist with his NFL football previews. And speaking about being on the money, especially of late when it comes to totals, Victor King from the totals tip sheet. Victor has his NFL over under review and preview to view this week.
3: Hi again, everybody. It is Victor, the over under guy for Mark Lawrence's PlaybookSports.com. We've got a little bit of a week 13 over under review. And a little bit of preview as we commence and head into the month of December. Uh, Crunch time in the NFL in terms of the regular season. And of course, December, always a big month in terms of potential bad weather in pro football as well. In fact, I just was looking at the weather report for this weekend, and I noticed that the five games that will be played outdoors in the early Sunday kickoffs, it looks like all five of them will have some sort of a weather issue, either very, very high winds or extremely bad rain. Uh, We'll get into that in just a minute. But in the meantime, I'm sure you see the uh, headline of the Totals tip sheet newsletter. This week's newsletter where we say welcome back to the overs in the NFL last week, seven games with 55 or more points. And it was definitely a wild weekend from a totals perspective. Again, as I mentioned in the headline over here, 13 games last week. Remember six teams had a bye. And more than half of those games, that would be seven of them, Saw a combined 55 or more. Obviously, the high-scoring one or the highest-scoring one was last Thursday in that Cowboys-Seattle game, 76 total points in that one. And you want to talk bookends. The Monday night game was the second-highest-scoring game of the week. You saw 65 points in that Cincinnati-Jacksonville Monday nighter. And, of course, other high-scoring games this week, 61 points in the San Francisco-Philadelphia game, uh, and in the Detroit-New Orleans game, 60 points in the Washington-Miami game, 59 in the Colts-Titans game, and finally 55 points in the Browns-Rams game. And not only that, folks, but all three of the NFL primetime games, that's the night games, ended up going over the total For the first week, all season long, remember, we've been talking about these primetime games and the high percentage of unders all season long. But last week, all three of them ended up going over the total for the first time this season. Another interesting note, for the second week in a row, all of the late afternoon NFL games went over the total as well. Of course, the games that start at 4.05 Eastern or 4.25 Eastern. So now in the last two weeks, these late afternoon NFL contests have been very high scoring, seven overs, zero unders. And in fact, they've averaged 47.3 points per game on the season compared to only 42 points per game in those Sunday one o'clock starts. So there you have it and is the worm starting to turn this is what a lot of over under betters are going to be asking themselves after the results of the last two weeks of course that would be two consecutive weeks now of more overs than unders now again you saw the headline here on page one about seven games with 55 or more points but even with that said there was still enough low-scoring games to keep the averages still in the mid-40s as five out of those 13 games also had 40 or less combined points. You saw some of the ugly games, that 6-0 to zero Chargers win over New England, the 13-8 to eight Atlanta win over the Jets. So we still had a couple of very, very low-scoring, ugly games that we've been used to seeing all season long. The official record for last week, nine overs, four unders. Again, it was only the third weekend all season long in which there were more overs than unders. The average over under line last week was 42.4, average combined points, 47.8, one of the higher scoring weeks of the season. So after 13 weeks now in the NFL, the year to date results now stand at 82 overs, 110 unders, one tie. That's still 57% of all games under the total. And the average combined points per game for the entire season, 43.4. So despite that 9 and 4 over under record last week, the average over underline this week in week 14 is the lowest of the entire season. As we record our podcast on Wednesday, the average over/under line in the NFL for this week is only 40.5 points. And that takes us to our next topic, which is basically how low can you possibly go? Uh, You already see the average line is 40.5 on the season. And there's still a handful of games that are really, really low. Like that Thursday nighter between the Steelers and the Patriots, where the over/under line is around 30 points. Or how about that uh, Sunday early start game in Cleveland between the Browns and the Jacksonville Jaguars, with both teams down to second-string quarterbacks or worse? The OU line on that one is down to about 31 and a half points. So I did go into the database and check these really, really low over/under lines. They're usually justified. NFL non-division games with a low over-under line of 32 or less points have gone four and 14 over-under. That's four overs, 14 unders, 78% under the total in the past 20 seasons. Basically, the database is telling us that if you're going to play these ugly low over underline games, Play them under. The line is that low for a reason. So, again, if you're going to be thinking about the Patriots-Steelers game on Thursday, either play the under or lay off. And the same thing for that Jaguars and their Browns week. One more thing in regards to this week in the NFL, and it's an important topic because six teams come in off their bye. Remember last week in the NFL, there were six teams with their bye week. It was the biggest uh, bye week of the season obviously by far, so it's the perfect time for do, us to do a little bit of a uh, over-under review for teams off their bye week. Already this season, NFL teams have gone 5-18-1. That's five overs, 18 unders. That's 78% under the total teams coming in after their bye week this season. And there are six of those teams, like I mentioned, so we'll look to go low In those games involving those six teams, Baltimore Ravens, Buffalo Bills, Chicago Bears, Las Vegas Raiders, and Minnesota Vikings, who are, in fact, playing each other this week. And finally, the New York Giants on Monday Night Football. All those teams are off their bye. That's going to about do it for our Week 14 preview. Although a lot of people will say, before you go, how about a free play? maybe from King's best friend, and that would be uh, my doggy Tuco, who brought home the bacon last week, and we're going to give him the ball again this week. And Tuco's free play for the podcast here is going to be a team total, and it's going to be in the Monday night game. Now, I will not be down here in South Florida on Monday night, and unfortunately my wife and I will be up in Ohio dealing with some – Heartbreaking issues and duties. But with that said, our dog Tuco will still be holding fort down here in South Florida as our Miami Dolphins are hosting the Tennessee Titans on Monday Night Football. And Tuco's team total is for you to play the Dolphins to score over 30 and a half points in this game against the Titans. It's a big time opportunity here on national TV to basically show the world how special this Dolphin track meet offense really is. Uh, It's a team down here that's got South Florida very, very excited. First time in a very, very long time. And again, Miami's one of only two teams in the NFL this season that are indeed averaging 32 or more points per game. And in fact, in their home games, The Dolphins are actually averaging 38.8. So you could add a touchdown to that 32. The Dolphins are averaging 39 points per game on their own at home this season. And what's got Tuko licking his chops is the fact that they will be playing one of the worst passing defenses in the entire league in the Tennessee Titans, who just allowed 312 passing yards to Gardner Minshew last week when Tennessee lost in overtime 31-28. to 28. In fact, the Titans, man, oh, man, they have struggled all season long against good quarterbacks like Trevor Lawrence, Lamar Jackson, Deshaun Watson, Justin Herbert, Baker Mayfield. Yes, we are aware that Miami has the highest team total on the entire week 14 schedule. But our boy Tuco should have no problem getting to the 33 or more points from the Dolphins that he needs to cash a win on Monday night. So your free team total of the week from our boy Tuco is to play the Miami Dolphins over 30 and a half in the Monday night home game against the Tennessee Titans. So there you have it. That is our over under preview for last week's week 13. Our review for this week in NFL Week 14, we will return to the Mark Lawrence podcast in just a minute or two. We'll be taking a pass next week. We'll talk to you in two weeks, and best of luck with all of your NFL Week 14 action.
2: Once again, great job, as always, Victor, previewing those NFL over-under totals for the upcoming football games. Now it's time we move over to Andy Isco. He's going to join us for this live segment here. You can view Andy's standalone contest review where he reviews all of what's going on in the major contests in Las Vegas. And Andy, uh, I know it's going to be on your on your preview, but uh, just a little taste, if you will, on the Survivor Contest. I know there's been some wild happenings going on in the Survivor <laughs> Contest. Anything that's noteworthy that you want to pass on before we get to the line moves?
4: if I take a look at what happened last week, that pretty much sums it up. They were already down 99% of the entries had been eliminated prior to last week. They had 9,200 and uh, was it 56 uh, or 74, something like that. Anyway, all but fifth, all but um, 80 were alive heading into last week. 24 of those 80 were on the Steelers who lost to uh, Arizona, eliminated those entries. 24 lost Monday night with the Jaguars losing, being upset to Cincinnati. And also an entry was lost uh, by backing the Saints and another by backing the Jets. So 50 were gone, 62 and percent of what remained in the contest gone. So we're down to just uh, uh, 30 entries uh, remaining alive. And, you know, the, 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 the We're 13 weeks into the NFL season, 14 weeks into the contest season because of the split week at Thanksgiving and another split week coming up at uh, Christmas. So five weeks left in the NFL season, six weeks left in the contest season. This is the fourth year of the contest. We've never had a contest uh, in those first uh, three previous years. That did not go the entire way. We had multiple winners splitting the prize because they were perfect initially 17-0 uh, and 0 and then 20-0 the last two years. So we may not see that this year. And uh, that means that one person could very well uh, collect over $9 million. In fact, on the no. contest, I, I did indicate that with 30 entries left, if all 30 are eliminated at the same time or they all go perfect, each entry right now would be worth over $300,000. And I'm sure a lot of the folks with entries still available are considering all the possible implications of maybe selling a part of their share and guaranteeing some cold, hard cash for their $1,000 entry fee.
2: Hey, Andy, I had heard that uh, a good friend, uh, Paul, Paulie Howard from VEASAN was one of the guys that was alive. Do you hear word of that? That he was a lot. He was still one of the people that were alive in the Survivor? That I had heard,
4: I, I, yeah, I had heard that, and of course, Paulie has a nice reputation of uh, of doing well in his con- as does his partner, uh, Miss Mon- Mitch, Mitch Moss, uh, who uh, I believe won one of the station's last man standing cont- contest. Uh, I don't know, maybe it's been eight or ten years ago now, but uh, it's a very uh, winning any of the, those contests you know it's you know winning and placing highly in like the westgate contest or the circa millions contest is a nice accomplishment because it shows you've been really consistent over the course of a season to hit those 65 68 70 percent that are required to win in the survivor contest you got to be perfect
2: yeah it's kind of tough when you got to be perfect but when there's $9 million in the line, I think you're going to really be focused. I know one thing, $9 million in the line, you would not have found me using the New York Jets as a survivor play. (laughs) I sure hope
4: that was not the only remaining entry of that contestant.
2: (laughs) Well, Andy, how about the NFL line movements this week, Uh, as you saw from the uh, Superbook, uh, from Jay Carnegie's Superbook? uh, Anything that's interesting we should know about with the line moves this week in the NFL?
4: Well, Jim touched upon it, and you and he touched upon it, and Victor as well, with the totals going down largely in these East Coast games. So I'll concentrate more on the sides, although I will take a look at the Thursday night game, which uh, probably some people will have been able to listen to this podcast before the Thursday night. Uh, The advance line last Tuesday, the uh, 28th of November, had uh, the Steelers' six-point home favorites, and the total was 35. And initially, before the games even uh, were taken off the board on Sunday, that total was bet down against the Patriots from 35 after 33 and a half. After Sunday's action, uh, when the Patriots uh, lost in that exciting six nothing game to uh, <laughs> uh, to uh, the Chargers. And by the way, it was two field goals, not a touchdown and a missed extra point, although it could have easily just as well have been three safeties, but nonetheless, the reposted <laughs> line was 32 and a half. It went down as low as 29 and a half, bet back up briefly to 30 and back down now to twenty-nine and a half, and yeah, you know, normally you'd be saying, at what point will some of the uh, the contrarians get in and play the over? And maybe it takes a 27.5 or a 28 because I don't see any rush to the windows uh, to playing over the 29.5 except for that brief movement uh, up to uh, 30. So that's been you know, a historical line, although I don't recall the exact year of the game, but I remember there was a playoff game. I want to say it may have been the Giants and the 49ers. I know the 49ers were involved, and it was raining all week before the playoff game. I don't remember if it was a divisional round or an NFC championship. And that game closed at, I think, 29 or 29 and a half, and the game featured like 60-something points. So uh, just because it's a Now, of course, not as much attention was played back paid back then to the f- effect of wind. It was mostly the soggy field conditions that played into the drop of the line. And of course this week, as was discussed earlier, wind is going to be a major factor in some of these totals drops, but looking at some of the more interesting line moves, uh, the lions are at the bears. The advanced line had the lions five and a half point road favorites. It dropped down to five. And of course, Chicago had their buy last week, uh, despite the fact that the lions won in uh, new Orleans this past week. And, yeah, they had a big lead early, 21 nothing, and they still held on for a 33 28 win. The reposted line was moved downwards to 4.5. This, again, despite the fact that the Bears didn't play. The line went down as low as three, and currently it's 3.5 on the Lions. But that's somewhat, to me, an unusual uh, line move. Just to give a little perspective on the Jacksonville uh, Cleveland game, where, of course, when the advanced line was posted uh, a week ago Tuesday, uh, the. Uh, uh, Jaguars had not lost uh, uh had lost had not lost Lawrence of course because they played Monday night and we knew that the Browns situation was going to be sort of a revolving quarterback thing with Watson gone for the season although I don't think at that time we knew that Joe Flacco would start and play decently in the game the advance line had the Jags three-point favorites and after the Browns played on Sunday uh, and lost at the um Uh, at the Rams in a game that was more competitive than the final score indicates with the Rams getting a couple of touchdowns in the uh, fourth quarter. Uh, The line was reposted with Jacksonville, a three-point favorite, bet down to two and a half initially, and the game was then taken off the board pending Monday night's outcome. The game was taken down on Monday. Uh, Once we saw Lawrence get injured and his status was very questionable at the time, still pretty much is questionable for this week. The reposted line on Monday morning switched around to uh, Cleveland being a two and a half point home favorite over the Jaguars. That has since been up to three, and I would imagine once we get some certainty about the status of Lawrence, and it may be a game time decision. We may not know until the actives come out at uh, 8.30 Pacific, 11.30 Eastern on Sunday morning what his status is. Wouldn't be surprised some from late movement on that game depending upon what the official status of uh, Lawrence is expected to uh, uh to be uh looking at uh, some of the other line moves uh the minnesota vikings have attracted some attention in their game against the raiders this week now the advanced line had the vikings one point road favorites total of 41 which was bet down to 40 and a half both teams were coming off buys this week so when the line was reposted even though it was taken off uh, uh because of the sunday games the vikings were two and a half point road favorites So the uh, bettors thought that the one was too. The sportsbooks thought that the one was too low, even though there was no movement. Uh, It has since gone up to the Vikings three-point road favorites, total, state where it uh, ended before being taken down at 40 and a half. 49ers and Seattle game had an interesting line move. The advanced line had the 49ers 11-point home favorites against Seattle. Remember, just two weeks ago on Thanksgiving night uh, at Seattle, the 49ers controlled that game. Dominated pretty much 131 to 13 in that contest, leading 24 to 3 at halftime in that game. Yet the early money came in uh, as a 10 and a half, dropped it down to 10 and a half. This was before the 49ers totally blew out the uh, Eagles this past week, so the line was reposted up to 12 and a half and yet the early money still came in on seattle so that line is now back down to 10 and a half where the early betters had put it before the game was uh taken off the uh, board uh kansas city hosting buffalo the advance line had the chiefs three Uh, the uh, line was reposted at three and then it came off as a result of Kansas City's uh, game against Green Bay, which they lost outright at home despite some controversy at the end of the game regarding uh, penalties called and uncalled. And interesting enough, despite that fact that they lost, the line actually opened below three and has remained there, opened and remains at two and a half at uh, virtually all uh, books. Uh, the Eagles, another interesting game because we saw, we've saw we seen a, a movement over a key number. Uh, Eagles hosting the Cowboys. It's a revenge game for Dallas who lost a few weeks ago to the uh, the Philadelphia Eagles up in Philly. The early line had the Cowboys open at two and a half, bet up to two and a half before it came off the board on Sunday. It then opened with the Cowboys' three-point home favorite, which was a reasonable number, and yet the early money has come in and pushed it up to three and a half. Of course, I'll talk about that one a little bit later, as that's an important game for both teams, especially the Cowboys, if they have designs on catching the Eagles, which is possible in the NFC East, and of course for the Eagles who want to complete the series and pick up a game on San Francisco uh, for the overall seed, where uh, they currently have a one-game lead. But, of course, with the loss last week to San Francisco, they lose the uh, uh, tiebreakers. Another move that's worth interesting, the final move I'll talk about, Miami, a 12-and-a-half-point advance favorite. Now, there are two Monday night games this week. Uh, They both start, I believe, at 515, which is kind of odd as composed to the early season doubleheader, which staggered the starts and makes an awful lot more sense. Uh, Nonetheless, the uh, Packers hosting the Tennessee Titans, the advanced line, which did not move, had the Dolphins 12.5 point. Uh, home favorites. And after last week's results, especially uh, Miami's uh, easy win over Washington, they opened up at 13, was actually bid up to 14 before dropping down to 13.5. And, and I would imagine that if you like Washington, uh, excuse me, if you like Tennessee, you might want to hold off because I would expect the late movement uh, to be on uh, uh, Miami back up to 14 since it's already hit there. So then a question of how long it will last before uh, some of the big money comes in and takes the 14
0: with Washington.
1: up I'm sorry, Andy, go ahead. Andy,
0: what, what, you, what you were saying earlier about uh, the Browns and Jaguars, we looked at that game and we talked a little bit about earlier about the weather there. That might be the worst of the weather games we've seen in the past where at the Brown Stadium, the wind can come in there and just play havoc with the throwing the ball. Both of these teams are probably going to uh, spend a lot of time trying to run the ball. Um, the Bears and Lions, it's the same situation. And um, they're, they're going to have a difficult time throwing the ball. So you're going to see a lot of running in these games. It may be even hard to hit, kick field goals because of the wind gusts at, at, in in uh, both of these stadiums. So there's going to be a lot of scoring problems. If the weather is accurate, which we're all assuming it is at this point, those games, uh, why the lines have moved the way they are even without any real further information on injuries
4: yeah that's a good point i'm glad you brought it up jim because that is one total i should have covered the advanced line had the total at 38 after Sunday's games, it was reposted at 38 and a half. And of course, this is before the Monday night game and before we knew anything about the weather. And yet after it was posted to 38 and a half, it was immediately bet down to 36 before they took it off prior to Monday's game when they reposted it on Tuesday. And remember, I mentioned with the injury to Lawrence, the favorite switch from uh, the Jaguars two and a half to the Browns two and a half. The total also, it had been taken off at 36. It was reposted at 32 and a half, and it's gone down a couple of points since then.
2: Good line updates from Andy Isco. What's going on in the National Football League this week? You're tuned in to Mark Lawrence against the spread, the nation's most popular sports handicapping talk show. And with that, let's bring in our producer, Greg DePalma, for our roundtable discussion. Greg, love
1: talking with you, love fielding your questions, and if you will, fire away. All right, guys. Looking forward to uh, this weekly segment. Uh, especially since Mark and I won't be talking college football this week. We're going to take a week off on the Arles Football Network and talk some NFL for the rest of the season, some bowls, and, of course, the playoffs a little bit later on. Uh, I I did want to uh, start off, first of all, by – I I know the big story came out of that Green bay Kansas City game on Sunday night being the officiating. And I think we're at this point, though, that – and most people believe what should happen uh, as far as how to implement a system to make it work. Um, it's just a matter of whether they're going to do it or not. And um, what do you, what did you guys think about how the officiating went down? Because it all started with the bad call, uh, the miscall on Mahomes. And I got to say this, and I know Mahomes didn't do it on this particular play, but. He's like the the one that I think is the most um, guilty of all the quarterbacks that when they run out of bounds, he does a good job of flopping, and he also does a good job of, of uh, which a lot of these quarterbacks do, they always try to get those extra four or five yards when it looks like somebody's going to hit him, and then they don't, which I think they they should just stay away from that because I don't think that's a good look either. Um, but anyway, what do you guys think about how the, the game overall went? Do you think it was, hey, you know what? Chiefs got robbed. Packers got robbed. It was a, uh, that's the way it went. And uh, this is just how we have to live with the NFL today in officiating.
2: Well, that was one of the most blatant missed calls of the national football league this year. Which one? I, I know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Which one? Yeah. <laughs> Which one? Uh, when he, when he had his head in the noose and look, like he was going to break his neck and no penalty was called. I think it's absolutely time for the national football league to have a head referee, whether it's, I don't know who the guys are that uh, are the commentators for the refs about reviewing a uh, a play and whether they think it'll stand or whether it won't stand. But I think they ought to designate a few of those guys to be the eyes in the sky and have the ability to overturn plays on the field that are judgment calls because there were some blatant judgment calls that were made last week. And uh, if you had had that, you'd have those a a good handful of those turned around for many years,
0: for for, for many years, Mark, the NFL sort of ignored gambling and said that, you know, they just, it's like it didn't exist. Now the NFL is making a fortune from gambling. Uh, Roger Goodell was here in Las Vegas yesterday and promoting the Super Bowl and everything. And it's, it's all changed. It turned around. And, but I don't think they've, they've been accountable for their actions or inactions in, in some of these cases. And we're, we're talking about investments. Like we talked a couple of weeks ago when Burrow was hurt and they didn't announce it, and nobody, you know, so sizable bets. And I mean, I mean, a sizable bet for one person is not a sizable bet for another person. I understand, but everything is relative to that person's bankroll, and they're not acting as if. I mean, this is like investing in stocks or bonds or anything. You're dealing with people's money, and. You know, I can't say the NFL makes plenty of money, that they can spend a little bit more money trying to a, get full-time officials training, accountability, the people that overturn things that are blatantly wrong. Now, I'm not saying being an official is easy, because these guys are running around with 350-pound men. You can't even see what's going on because of the bodies and everything, and you make humans being, make mistakes anyway. But the accountability factor for the NFL, and maybe it's all sports, you know, we're just picking on the NFL right now, but uh, it, has to, it has to improve.
2: Well, Victor, let me ask you this. Uh, with regard to the comment that I made, they're employing instant replay and they're not using it. They're not utilizing it uh, to, to, to its full efficiency. What's your, what's your take on that, Victor, about the National Football League being able to overrule calls in the field that were judgment calls? You're muted, Victor.
3: You know, guys, in that game, in the the very last play of the game, that Hail Mary by Patrick Mahomes, there could well have been a pass interference on that very last play as well. So you bring up very, very good points. And, uh, you know, obviously there are no easy, there's no clear-cut solution. Uh, The idea about... Making officials full-time league employees makes a lot of sense. Further tweaking the instant replay system. Uh, But the thing that I think makes the most sense is something that you just touched on, Mark, and that's assigning each game a sky judge who could basically fix any sort of officiating the gaffes immediately and on site from the replay booth. We've got that new eye in the sky camera, Let's utilize it, and let's bring in an eye in the sky type of judge.
2: Yeah, like a marshal on an airplane. Air 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 authority. authority, exactly.
1: Don't they have that in the XFL? I believe they do. The XFL yeah. actually used and and uses that technology the way that the NFL should.
3: There
0: you go. Right.
1: Yeah. yeah. So my, my
4: thoughts, my thoughts, Mark, sort of revolve around what everybody has said. I'm not sure that the answer is full-time referees only because the calls we're talking about happen so quickly. I don't know that you can train anyone to respond that quickly, especially when there's judgment involved. So I think the solution either involves that eye in the sky or you have someone, for example, in New York, let's say an official in New York who's watching these games or you have several of them because they're going on simultaneously. And if there's a questionable call, they buzz into the game and say, this play should be reviewed or at the very least you have uh, a coach's challenge uh, that would have to be used. Maybe you expand the extra challenge to challenge either a penalty call that was made and shouldn't have been, or vice versa. And Jim brought up the point about the NFL's history of sort of like gambling not existing. It becomes even more and more important for the league not to have any perception that there's anything going wrong with these officials. We've all said for decades officials have more to do with the control of these games because they can arbitrarily throw penalty flags whenever they want or not throw them when perhaps they should be. Now, the thoughts about the game on uh, on on, on the Monday night with the uh, uh I'm sorry, on Sunday night with the uh, uh the missed calls, number 1, the call on Mahomes was certainly one that if they were able to review it, I think, well, they did take a look, they, they showed it for the replay, but not from an official reviewable point, it would have been reviewed. Maybe, maybe it would have reversed. Now maybe what happened, and again, here's the conspiracy theory, maybe the failure to call the, uh, uh, the obvious pass interference on the next one was a makeup call because the officials realized they shouldn't have made that call against the uh, guy who hit Mahomes. I don't wanna say that was the case because, but then again, It was such an obvious play that how could it have been missed, okay? There's where a challenge comes in or the eye in the sky or the official in New York would say, hey, we better take a close look. We don't have to take a close look at it. We take a look at one replay and we see that the guy was mugged and the penalty should have been called. And finally, the one in the end zone, the Hail Mary pass is a lot more difficult because you've got, you know, seven, eight players all battling for the football. There's going to be some jostling, and uh, but wasn't
2: that a, an obvious shove? Yes, maybe?
4: yes, it it was, as he was trying to push him out of the way to get to the football, as as much as much in that situation. So that's a little bit more questionable, and maybe I'd also like to perhaps see a rule where if you have pass interference on the in the end zone on a play like that, or, or on any play, that if it occurs in the end zone. You don't put it on the one-yard line. Maybe you put it on the five-yard line.
1: You know, the one thing that I'm a little bit nervous about with this potential move, and and I think that's where they would go as far as the eye in disguise and so forth, is that the NFL has frowned upon making the officials look bad. And I just wonder, even in the most obvious situations, if we're just waiting because – what, what it would mean is we would all be sitting there and waiting, well, we've got about 25, 30 seconds, and if he doesn't buzz in and he doesn't change this, and I just get the feeling that they probably wouldn't change it very often because, again, I mean, we had the same thing with the pass interference uh, penalties, and uh, that was supposed to change, and that was supposed to upgrade, and it never did. Why? Because even though we saw something and we said, come on, that's pass interference. All right. Well, they're obviously going to change it, right? They never did. Why didn't they? Because they didn't want the officials to look bad. So I don't know. That's the thing. If they're going to do this, they have to do it right. They have to stop with this nonsense about making the officials look bad. Uh, and, and and until they get that done, I, I, I have to admit, and, and I'm 100% on this, I honestly believe that the, 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 the sport might be better if we never even had instant replay. Meaning let's just get this thing over with and let's just play the games. And you know what? You got to deal with it. You got to deal with it. The reason being is because I the one thing I can't stand, and we talked about this a few weeks ago in the college football game with the the, the kid from Iowa returning the touchdown, and then five five uh, minutes uh, later they're returning the call. <clears throat> I just think it takes away from the instant impact of fans just getting excited about stuff, and then they get it taken away from them. And it's just – I just kind of wish because they're not perfect about it and they're not even close to being perfect about it that we just didn't even have replay. But unfortunately, the cat's out of the bag, and that's the way it's always going to be.
2: So. Well, if you do away without replay, Greg, then you're probably going to do away with uh, overturning plays, correct?
1: Oh, absolutely. And I'm not saying it's going to happen. I know it never will happen. Like, like I, that's why I said the cat's out of the bag. It's, it's never going to return wonder, to the way it was. I wonder what
0: things would look like if you had no officials.
4: like a pickup basketball game you call it a
1: a
2: woman's lingerie game yeah
4: (laughs) Yeah. i'll I'll tell you what the nfl shouldn't be shouldn't be concerned about it makes the officials look bad they're human and if yep. they make a mistake it should be corrected you don't yes. just live with the mistake now maybe one of the things and this goes back again where i said well i'm not so sure that you want to have full-time officials well maybe you do but maybe you want a mandatory retirement age let's say 50 years old when their skills start to diminish their eyesight goes down yeah. their reactions are quicker you're not going to eliminate anything but i think you might reduce a lot of them but then again if you have five people will say well there should have only been three bad calls something like that so i don't know that you ever do away with with the uh, uh, with the problem, but uh, at the same time, especially with the uh, explosion of gambling, ratings are still as good as they've ever been for the NFL, despite all the inconveniences of longer games and too long to uh, determine uh, uh, replay reviews.
1: Yeah, well, uh, that's something that probably will take place again in the playoffs, and a uh, matter of fact, the, oh, yeah. the, the Thursday game was even more awful, not because of any particular play that happened in the last drive, but what did there was a 19 flags in the Dallas Seattle game and everything was even, it was even in yards and even in number of flags. But I mean, Seattle had to score three times, I believe in that one drive because they had penalty and then another penalty. And then, they had. so, I mean, that's another thing that has to stop is that, the thing that I think fans hate the most is that some of these officials believe that they have to make a call because that's what they're told. And it's in it's, it's a letter of the law and I got to live by it And and what it should be. And you guys are just mentioning, well, maybe we shouldn't have officials at all. But I think what officiating should be is just call it if it's really, really bad. And you have to also put the human factor in it. Try to put the human factor in it. Try to understand what's going on in the game. Don't call, like, for instance, they had this um, in the, I think, wh- which game was it? I believe it was the Liberty game. I'm not sure. I'm, you guys probably didn't see it, but a guy uh, uh, had a 50-yard touchdown pass. And the kid made a great play, and he goes down his sidelines, and he's just about to cross the line for the touchdown. And one of his uh, uh, other receivers clips the dude – the defensive back at the goal line when the guy is crossing the goal line. It's obvious that the guy scores a touchdown. And the clip means nothing on the play, but he calls the clip, puts the ball back, you know, 15, 20 yards. They score it scored anyway. But the point is, is you have to understand the moment and understand why you're calling a penalty and when you should call penalties. And I know you guys also brought up holding and things of that nature. That's exactly my point. You don't know. I don't think you have to change the rule and say, okay, you do this or do that, but just, Let the officials know. Just don't call things that are ticky-tack because when you start calling ticky-tack stuff, then that's really where I think drives fans uh, crazy the most. It's
4: It's called liberalizing the rules, and we talked about it last week. You can call holding on every play, and the same thing with pass interference. You call 90% of the time, they call it on the defender. He's being jostled by the offensive guy trying to get better position as well. Now, I know they have it in baseball. There's a website that tracks all the performances of Major League Baseball umpires behind the plate. I have to believe somewhere there are websites that track the performance of officials and officiating crews, and when they point out the number of mistakes, and the media starts covering all the mistakes that are being made, that are being charted, and so you've got the visual evidence there, maybe that'll push a little bit more pressure on the NFL to say, Hey, we have a problem with the officiating that it's about time. We need to address it.
2: You know, I was going to say it goes hand in hand with, uh, one of the old, uh, maxims in boxing and, uh, a boxing referee is good only because you never even knew he was in the ring while the fight was going on. He doesn't take over the, uh, the fight, the control of the tempo of the fight. He's there, but he's not there. He's not the person that the people paid to come and see, National Football League, the fans didn't come to see these referees throw these flags or not make these calls. So they have to be a little bit more invisible if that's possible.
1: And what they also need to do is be accountable after the games. And especially, obviously, look, if they they become full-time officials, I think that's a no-brainer. But do we really have to wait for them to become full-time officials for them to be interviewed after the game? I mean, it's just why not? Why aren't they interviewed after the game?
4: The NBA at least has, what is it, that two-minute uh, report that they put out every day where they take a look at the officials and questionable calls, like, for example, the uh, timeout in uh, the game last night between the, uh, the Suns and the Lakers. Maybe uh, the other sports would do well to, again, as you say, Greg, be more accountable. We all we – all Understand that you're not going to get perfection, but don't make it sound like you are getting perfection. Admit the mistakes. They'll be forgotten. And, you know, it's kind of like, you know, the the crime is never the thing that gets someone in trouble. It's the cover-up. Don't cover up. If you just come out and make and uh, admit that the officials made mistakes, two days later, it's forgotten about for the most part.
2: That NBA report, Andy, they call it the Tim Donahue report is what they do.
1: Uh-oh. (laughs)
2: <laughs> All right, Greg, I'm uh, And by sorry. the way,
1: if they if, if they do interview them and they know they're going to be interviewed after the game, maybe they don't call as many uh yeah, yep. penalties. They don't want to be in that situation. Um, and, and I segue that to the Dallas uh, team in the game because obviously there was a really exciting game, the Dallas-Seattle game. Um, and uh, Dallas outtakes on Philly, as we know. Uh, so I want your opinion on the game because if Dallas wins and the uh, favorite of, uh, in this series, I believe, is one in covered five straight. So there's a lot of trends siding with Dallas. So let's say Dallas wins this football game. We're going to have a tie in the NFC East. So then my question is, uh, first of all, I mean, obviously, you don't have to pick Dallas to win the game and Philly, I mean, and Dallas to win the division, of course. But what do you think? Who, who ends up winning the NFC East? Jim?
0: Well, Dallas has not shown any of us that they can beat a good team. They they can beat bad teams and they can beat them by a lot of points, but That's they a have great not point played too. well against quality clubs. They haven't beat the a winning
2: team yet.
0: Well, they did last week technically because Seattle was six and five. So, mm. but they they haven't beaten a really good team though. Yes. Yeah. So I I don't know. It's uh,
1: so you're taking the Eagles.
0: Philadelphia looks exhausted. I mean, they've gone through a pretty rough stretch where they played poorly the first three quarters. And they won the games in the fourth quarter. And then last week that didn't happen. They played a little bit better in the first quarter, and the rest of the game was it was a shit show. San Francisco just annihilated them. But San Francisco can do that to anybody if they're healthy. And that's why I've always believed from the beginning of the year that they're the best team in the NFL if they're healthy. But they're not deep. If they lose their offensive lineman, Williams, Trent Williams, or the Debo Samuel, or you know, it, it's just a different team. They've got to stay healthy to be as dominant as they are.
4: Well, Greg, you mentioned the point that uh, Dallas win uh, over Philly ties them with the division. But I think the Eagles still have the advantage because after this game, Dallas has the much tougher, tougher schedules. So the Eagles likely win. Uh, I think they play... Um, I think they play Buffalo, Buffalo for Dallas, yeah. Right, and then I think they do they all. Oh yeah, have they have game? a very tough schedule. Yeah, very, You're right. Yeah. So yes. I think Dallas lose. They play Detroit one, maybe twice. Yeah.
3: Yeah. At, Buff- at Buffalo and at Miami on consecutive weeks right. for Dallas. And then Detroit. Detroit. The, and then Detroit, right? Yep.
4: And the Eagles play two games against the Giants. There you go. The so spread. I think
1: yeah. uh, I think we're all in agreement. The Eagles have the drive. The, they're in the driver's seat. Yep. Yeah. And they haven't even played so the game. So basically,
0: this is. This is an absolute must for Dallas just yes, to have a is. chance. Yep. If yep. they would lose this game, and, and with that schedule and plugged in, they're gonna they're gonna have
3: to. Philadelphia's gonna get that division. Well, it'll then, be nothing nothing but road games basically for Dallas in the playoffs, right?
1: And this is if, from if the, they lose this game, yeah. Yep. And this is from the playbook uh, guide. Uh, the Cowboys are now twenty three and three against the spread as a division favorite of more than two. And they're three and zero in that spot this year already. Twenty three and three. So,
4: and I was surprised that that line went up. Maybe, maybe you're explaining it. Maybe Mark, everybody knows about it. And that's why the line went from two and a half to three to three and a half, favoring the Cowboys. But I think also a lot of it has to be a the the great. Both teams have have need because Philadelphia is uh, you know needs to keep that lead on San Francisco, and of course Dallas has an opportunity to catch the Eagles. But the Eagles are coming off of those tough games, you know, where they played. Uh, Uh, What was it? Buffalo, Kansas City. They played Dallas the first time before their bye week. Those are very taxing games. And as as Jim pointed out, you know, the three games that uh, Philadelphia has been involved in prior to the San Francisco game were all very close games decided in the fourth quarter. And I think that might be the reason. Although I am surprised that uh, those who wanted to play uh, uh, Philadelphia didn't grab the plus three and let it go up to three and a half. And maybe they're thinking the more money will still come in on Dallas.
2: Let me ask you guys this question. What, what do you think is a more, important, uh, a more important element in the handicap? Looking at a team that, uh, for the reasons to come to play a game like you just discussed about Dallas and the importance and what it means to Dallas, Philadelphia can, of the two teams, afford a loss more than Dallas, or the egg factor. Philadelphia just got totally embarrassed and totally egged in their last football game. Do teams like that, who dress up as underdogs in division game tend to stand up and come back? Or is the Dallas situation a more critical factor?
0: Well, I think, I think you look at it from different perspectives. Like for example, you take the Patriots who can't score a point. Those guys are prop on that team. You know, they're, they're all professional athletes. They're all getting paid pretty decent money. Some people get paid a lot of money, but they might just be happy to finish the season. Where a team like Philadelphia, they're surprised there. last year could have easily won. They're going to look at it differently. I think they're going to be really cranked up to, to get back in this game. But however, Dallas has the revenge from the earlier loss. And a lot of people thought that Dallas played well enough in that game against Philly to actually have won that game.
3: They, they should have won. They, they yeah. outstated Philly by over 100 yards in that game, they had 400, uh, 406 yards of offense. In that game against the Eagles, who I believe only had 292, so we can't discount Mark the revenge factor. Either. And also, yeah, wasn't the, that the game?
4: It. Wasn't that the game where uh, Prescott stepped out of bounds on that two-point yep. conversion? Yep. yep. Yep.
2: Yeah, that was a hard game, not the cash in that football game for sure. Uh, you know, with all those stats being the way that they were.
1: And let's also remember that last quarter, that last couple of minutes, both teams just played really bad. I mean, both teams were trying to give the game away, making mistakes. It was it wasn't a very good ending. It was an exciting game, but uh, I think both of those teams could have definitely played a lot better. Okay, so I'm going to ask you a harder question then. Who wins the NFC South? Because Atlanta is has the one game lead, and they're taking on Tampa Bay. And if Tampa your Bay winner. wins, there's then your winner. We might have a three game. Uh, we might have three to New Orleans playing Carolina. We might have a three uh, a, a three team tie. Uh, going into week 15 after this week, but that means Tampa Bay wins. The
2: the real answer to that question is, Greg, who
1: cares?
2: (laughs) 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 I mean, my goodness. uh, Right now, Atlanta is the number four seed in the NFC playoff picture only because they rest on top of that division. If Tampa Bay wins this game, they're the number four seed uh, with their lousy record. So uh, all I know is whoever ends up representing that division is going to be a one and done. They'll be... They'll be seated as a number four seed, but they should, in truth, be a number seven seed at best. We've
0: and, had, we, we've had uh, the, the conference or division champions uh, with negative records yeah, in the past. And I don't know how many times that's happened, but I know it's happened a few times.
1: Yeah. And
0: by so the way, take,
4: so let's just say, if you take Andy. a look at Atlanta, Atlanta's remaining schedule, they're at the Panthers next week. They host the Colts. And I guess you can't discount the Colts. They still find a way to win, even though they don't necessarily have the characteristics of what you would expect the winning team to have. Then they're at Chicago in uh, week uh, 17, and maybe it'll come down to being at the Saints on uh, January 7th, week, uh, week 18, although the Saints really have greatly underperformed uh, this year. Uh, Carolina actually statistically has the best defense, the second-best defense belongs to Atlanta. Atlanta's been pretty solid defensively all year, so I'd, you know, I'd say if they win this game, and I expect them to, I think they win the division. This was a team, by the way, that a lot of people before the season began yes. was thinking as a fashionable long shot to yeah. uh, make the playoffs and win the division.
0: I think a lot of people are very disappointed in uh, their head coach's job
1: yeah. That, yeah. that he's done. And, and that's the thing is that could we – have four new head coaches in the NFC South. (laughs) (laughs) You,
3: You guys are right in that Atlanta is definitely in the driver's seat. What surprised me a lot this week was when I was updating this week's totals tip sheet newsletter, Atlanta is the new best defense in the red zone in the NFL this season. They are really putting down the clamps on teams that drive to their 20 yard line and then stall. In fact, the Atlanta Falcon defense has now gone 25 consecutive opponent possessions without allowing a touchdown. Wow. it's the longest active streak in the NFL, and their last TD they allowed was way back in Week 10 at Arizona. So they are really putting the clamps down on defense. Yeah, on offense, they're having their own red zone problems of their own. I definitely know that. But uh, – they got the personnel they've got the uh, uh, weapons on offense and they got what we look for in the second half of the season and that's a very very good defense
4: to answer your question greg uh i do a, a show each week uh down to uh, uh baton rouge and i threw out this possibility that maybe brian kelly with the success he's had at lsu gets the saints jobs next year and then i was informed But he'd have to take a huge pay cut. Yeah.
1: yeah. (laughs) And, but, but absolutely. Cause I don't, I, I can't look, I I think if Atlanta makes the playoffs, I think Arthur Smith gets another year, but Bowles has got to go. I think everybody knows that. And I think Dennis Allen has to go. I mean, I think he's been proven once again, he's not a head coach. No guys have to go. Allen's not done a good job at all. Yeah. So, um, and I think Arthur Smith doesn't come back if they don't make the playoffs. I think that's really a possibility. This
0: this week, we have quite a few backup quarterbacks playing. Again? Yeah, by a a ton of them. I mean, mean, look, Jacksonville's going to have a backup. Browns have a backup. Uh, Let's see. The Lions and the Bears, they're okay. They got their starters. Uh, The Panthers, uh, they're all right. New Orleans has a backup.
1: Well, the Colts mm-hmm. and the Bengals are actually playing backups because Minshew yes. was a backup. Yes, yes, he yes. is.
0: The, Jet, the Jets are back to their starter from the well. Actually, oh, he's a backup. Aaron Rodgers was actually the starter. He was the
1: starter. Yep, he's a backup.
0: Um, Vikings. Yep, backup. Backup.
1: Backup. Dobbs. Yep. 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 Versus uh, backup versus rookie.
0: Uh, this is a this is a mess.
1: Well, look, speaking of Atlanta, uh, they they've given De- they've given Ritter his chance and he hasn't really impressed that much. So there's no doubt with all these quarterbacks coming out, the Atlanta Falcons are going to be one of those teams that will be looking yep. for a quarterback. So I have to ask you just, uh, right now, Chicago's got the first pick and the fifth pick.
0: I'd like to interject something there, though. Yeah. Um, we, we blame the quarterback because he's got the ball and he's out there making the decisions. And those decisions have to be made in one or two seconds to hit a second and third read and all that stuff. But I wonder how bad their quarterback training and mentorship is, uh, is, because some of these players are starting to look a little bit better. Like a couple of weeks ago, when Pittsburgh changed their offensive coordinator, and I mentioned on the show that Pickens had never thrown the ball inside. He was always asked to throw the ball out in the perimeter, and his arm is, you know, marginally okay, but he's not great. Then he started throwing the ball inside. They started moving the ball. They had over 400 yards that next game. So I'm wondering how much blame we're putting on the quarterback. Is that really warranted? Like, for example, you look at Love up at Kansas, up at uh, Green Bay. I mean, this kid sat for four years, and everybody said they thought it was crazy to draft him. Why'd they do that? They pissed off Aaron Rodgers, et cetera, et cetera. This kid can't play. Started the season off, he looked terrible. Now he looks like a world beater. And you got this kid up in uh, Cincinnati who sat on the bench for four years. Greg, you mentioned that earlier. I mean, what he did last week, 32 out of 37 for 354 yards. I mean, who the hell can do that?
2: He looked like Brock Purdy is who he looked like.
1: (laughs) And he wasn't even, he wasn't, he was somebody a couple of years ago that nobody wanted he was he was basically just hey come on we need a we need somebody to come into camp well, let's bring him in as a backup in case something happens to Burrow. It wasn't like Cincinnati had this grand idea that this is going to be a guy that we're going to really turn to if Burrow gets hurt. It just shows you how wrong the whole system is. Is a guy like I, that? I think,
0: I think we're putting too much emphasis on the quarterback's ability or inability. Yep. And mm-hmm. Not enough on the coaching that they're getting. We know there's bad coaches. We don't know those people as well as we know the players because they're out on the field in front of us every day. But I think there's a lot of bad coaches and people in positions. Like you mentioned Dennis Allen. He should not be a head coach. it Definitely not. So the people under him are all affected by his poor decision-making and coaching. I mean, how do we know the offensive and defensive coordinators for every team? Is actually any good. I mean, Aaron Rodgers goes to the Jets. He demands they bring in this receiver. He demands they bring in this running back. And he brand demands they bring in Hackett. And now we know Hackett isn't one of the best offensive coordinators in the business. So he's there mentoring Zach Wilson and and Boyle. And I mean, they've got to be affected by this bad coaching.
1: Yep. Absolutely. It's also, two,
0: two things.
4: Number one. Offensive line also, sometimes they are co- more concerned about uh, opening holes for the running backs and not quite as concerned as protecting the quarterback after two or three seconds. That's an issue. And the other thing is with the, uh, the quarterbacks, the lack of time that they have in, in preseason now to uh, develop, which goes along with that. And I think, Jim, you brought it up with, uh, with, with Pittsburgh, for example. You don't tailor a system. You don't tailor. You'll make a quarterback fit your system. You make a system fit your quarterback.
1: And that's Good what point, happened. And that's exactly what happened to say Zach Wilson. Everything was tailored for Aaron Rodgers, and as soon as he got hurt, they didn't have a backup plan. Yep, they, they didn't expect that this was going to happen, and they should have. And that's their again coaching mistake. That's something that they should have been prepared for. And and um, and uh, yeah. So speak. And by the way, so speaking of uh, of Browning, um, and and even quarterbacks like that, you're talking about Love. What's what, what's the factor there? Well, Browning's twenty-seven. And Love, he's had time to understand the game and not be rushed into. And I think that maybe also is a big uh, uh, part of that, Jim, is that they just don't give these kids enough time anymore. And they need time to develop, not yeah, just they coaching, throw, they but throw time. Them to the walls. You're right. Yeah. Right. And then they're just thrown from system to system and coach to coach. And it's just I mean, totally the, unfair. The, Cle- the Cleveland Browns, I think, with, with the
0: Flacco starting, I think he's the 21st or 22nd starting quarterback in just the last few years for that team. And other teams have had one or two yeah. or three people. I yeah. mean, how do you, there's no possibility of having efficiency and putting it, it just doesn't work. What is. Jordan Loves, what,
4: the third quarterback that the Packers have had since, what, 1991, 1992?
1: And and, and we'll probably be saying that in 10 years. Wow. Yeah. You're right. That, yeah. So, you know, that's, that's smart uh, management. Um, so I was going to say, so Chicago has the first pick and they got the fifth pick. So they're in great shape. And right now, of course, Fields is the quarterback. So what would you do? Would you keep Fields – Trade the pick, maybe move down a couple of slots, grab Marvin Harrison, and now you've got more draft capital, Fields, Marvin Harrison, or do you trade Justin Fields and take quarterback?
2: I don't think Justin Fields gets you all that much for in a trade here, per, honestly, Greg. Uh, they traded up to get him, but he's been deeply disappointing. He's showing that he doesn't have – he can't read a defense is what his problem is. And they're going to absolutely make a move for a quarterback in this draft here with the first-round pick they have. Uh, they will trade fields, but yep. I don't think they're going to get anything with an, anything close to being able to nab Marvin Harrison as well. Uh, it would be a coup if they could, but well, I just don't see that happening.
1: But what would you do? Would you well, give – and again, this just goes by the, exactly what we were just talking about. Is shouldn't Fields be given more time? Because let's remember, they have a terrible offensive line. The coaching has been very inexperienced. It's not a very good, uh, talented group on offense. And are we putting everything to blame on Fields and not saying, hey, what happens if we bring in Marvin Harrison? What happens if we use these draft picks to surround him with better talent? Maybe that should be the way that we should go.
4: That's I agree a great, with you, Greg. That's a great because, point. Yeah, I, I, was gonna say, I agree because Fields does have that ability to make uh, make ground with his feet. And that's something you don't have in very many quarterbacks. And maybe what the Bears do, since they've invested several times and a couple of coaches in him, you know, a few years already, uh, maybe what they do is they uh, put some extra effort into perhaps getting a solid proven backup quarterback if they're it's almost like what New Orleans does with Taysom Hill and uh, – uh, and Derek Carr is that when there are plays that call for someone who might be a better athlete in certain aspects than others, you know, certainly more mobile quarterback than Carr, they bring in Hill, and he often gets to be big plays. And maybe because of the value of Fields' running ability, I think they should keep him and maybe address getting a capable backup who's who's basically a much more mobile passing, a much more effective passing quarterback.
2: You're going to see a lot of Fields uh, to the end of the season because they're going to want to one show him off and two figure right. out whether or not he can evaluate right exactly all right yeah, fields.
3: fields could really excel i think on a uh, one of these uh dome teams like in atlanta or potentially new orleans uh and he does deserve another chance with a different organization but you know what you could easily see uh in a quarterback needy league in the nfl you could easily see in the first six picks uh next year uh three out of the top six being quarterbacks Caleb Williams, Drake May, uh, Jaden Daniels, who's probably going to win the Heisman. And we haven't even mentioned Bo Nix yet, who's probably also going to be a first-round pick next year in the draft.
1: Yeah, three of those uh, quarterbacks in the playoffs, actually, if they right. come out, should all be late first, second-round quarterbacks. Yep. So uh, we'll get to see them more. Uh, by the way, before I uh, uh, throw it off to Andy for his pick, Of the week. Um, Is this the only week we're having two Monday night games or are there more to come?
2: I'm not sure. Uh, I was really surprised to see it happen again this week and I cannot understand for the life of me what the National League Football League gains by running simultaneous Monday night football games.
1: Are they on regular like ESPN, ABC, or a Prime Video gets one of them? I'm sure
2: one of them's ESPN. The other one's probably a streaming network. I think or, they're both.
1: E- I think one is ESPN
4: One and ESPN and ESPN Two. I think now we do have three games on Christmas Day, but that's a Monday, you know, which is a Monday. But they've got uh, They're you know, staggered. It's like it's like, thanks, it's like thanks the way they do it on Thanksgiving, and uh, then the following week, uh, no Monday games. Everything is Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday, final week.
1: All right, so uh, that'll do it. Let's uh, move on over now to uh, our final few segments and starting with Andy's pick of the week.
4: Yeah. And uh, I'm going to take a, a, a big favorite. I, uh, I'm going to go with San Francisco over Seattle. I think the current line's around 10, 10 and a half. Uh, These teams met just two weeks ago on Thanksgiving night, 49ers favored on the road by seven led to wire to wire scoring the first uh, a touchdown within the first five minutes of the game, leading 24-3 to at half and winning 31-13. Niners, uh, they outgained Seattle by 157 yards, had a 1.7 yards per play edge. Uh, they've scored at least 30 points. In nine of their 12 games this year, with the lone exceptions being that three-game stretch in which they had all those offensive injuries, uh, and uh, they put up 17 in each of those games, resulting in, of course, their only three losses of the season. They are, of course, uh, chasing uh, Philadelphia uh, if Philadelphia were to slip up, and they could do it uh, this week. Uh, San Francisco might end up uh, being in a good position uh, after that. In the the four games since the 49ers got healthy, they've put up 34, 27, 31, and 42. And the key categories that I chart, San Francisco has top five rankings in virtually all of them, uh, close to two dozen. Uh, whereas uh, Seattle's pretty much in the lower, in the middle to lower third of the league in most of those categories. Now, home teams favored by double digits this season are 13 and one straight up, and just nine and five against the spread with an average margin of nearly 17 points. Now, the Niners are three and zero oh as straight up as home favorites, two and one ATS in that role, but the one ATS loss was a half point when they were favored by 13 and a half against Tampa Bay and 127-14. Uh, Seattle does have extra time after playing uh, Dallas last week, uh, which might make them worth a look for the first half in that game. But the 49ers are now healthy with both a well-balanced offense and defense uh, look like the best team in the NFL. Clearly, I think they just added to that last week by beating really their second uh, NFC challenger. I think most people would say that in the NFC, let, let's not throw Detroit in there quite yet, but certainly Philadelphia and Dallas were probably numbers two and three. So that gap certainly with what they did against the uh, Cowboys earlier this season, uh, they're certainly the best team in the NFC uh, and the NFC West, if not in the entire NFL. And you can make an argument that certainly they are. Now, interestingly enough, They're back home after back-to-back road games uh, after uh, uh, the wins in Philadelphia and before that, the win at Seattle. So it sets up nicely for the 49ers. And, you know, maybe they win uh, 31-13 or maybe they'll make it a little bit uh, closer. But uh, uh, I still expect a a 14-point or more win from the 49ers.
2: San Francisco, I'm marking it down, Andy. Okay. That was Andy Isco joining us with his complimentary play on the show this week. Once again, Andy, I want to thank you for all of your insight into the card, Jim, any final closing thoughts you might have before Victor and I wrap this thing up?
0: Well, um, we talked, I'll I'll give, I'll give out a, 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 uh, a play as well, but this will be a parley. Now we're going to go to the Jacksonville Browns game. where you are going to have Joe Flacco and a backup quarterback method for uh, the Jags. Terrible weather is predicted. I'm going to go with the weatherman and hope he's accurate. <clears throat> Terrible line. I mean, it's gone from 40 to 30 and a half. I'm looking on the screen, which is the lowest number. There's a lot of 31s out there. The Browns are three. I'm going to go money line Browns parlayed with the under. Not very expensive to make that play, but I think it's a winner.
2: Browns to the under, parlay for Jim Feist. Moneyline Browns. Moneyline, yeah. Moneyline yeah, Browns.
0: I'm not laying three points in a very low scoring game. I'm going to take the money line.
2: Moneyline Browns. That's the Jim Feist factor. I like that. To the under in the football game. Thanks, Jimmy. I really appreciate everything you brought thank to you the show guys. this week. Thank What's that? Thank you. That was Jim Feist joining us from Las Vegas along with Andy Isco. And with that, let's get to our awesome angle of the week on the football card this week. We call it on the fence. And who's on the fence this week? Well, let me tell you what on the fence means. We talked a little bit earlier about 500 teams in the National Football League and how pivotal games are when their record is exactly 500 on the season, especially game 13, where teams coming in 6-6 and that need the win or they take the loss and they become a losing team. If these Six and six teams in game six were a playoff team last year, and they're playing with revenge in these games. They're 12-2 and two against the spread, going all the way back to 2,000. 13-1 straight up, these teams are. And we've got a live dog on the card in that role this week when the Cincinnati Bengals play host to Indianapolis for our on-the-fence play for our awesome angle play on the show this week. You're tuned in to Mark Lawrence against the spread. The nation's most popular sports handicapping talk show. Before Victor and I get to our complimentary plays, once again, our complimentary free pick segment is being brought to you by our good friends at uwager.lv, where they feature monthly 5% rebates and free same-day payouts. Take advantage and log on now at uwager.lv or give them a call toll-free. The number is one 800 Uwager. Victor, your complimentary play on the football card this week. We'd love to hear it.
3: Yeah, Mark, for our complimentary play, we are going to be going to the late afternoon kickoffs, and we're going to be going low in Sin City as the Raiders are hosting the Vikings, the over-under line. We're somewhere around 40, 40 40-and-a-half out there now. Uh, Both of these teams have showed tremendous defensive improvement big time uh, in the 1920s. 43 season. The offenses for both of these teams have indeed struggled. And of course, we're down the second or third string quarterbacks. As a result, Las Vegas 3-9 over-under on the year, including 1-5 over under at home, only 36.8 combined points per game. Minnesota also three and nine over-under on the season, including a perfect 0-6. In their games when they have been favored this year. The most important aspect of this play, guys, is the fact that both teams are off their bye. Each team had their bye last week, which leads to some uh, recent very low-scoring patterns. I also uh, mentioned to you about uh, how teams have done this season off their bye week. But out of our database, there's an even better low-scoring under number. And that's when we query NFL games in which both teams are off their bye week. And dating back to the 2018 season, it's about five years now. uh, These games have gone two and 15 over under. When both teams come in off their bye, it's already happened four times this season. Naturally, all four of those went under the total. Carolina versus Houston this season, Jacksonville versus San Francisco, Kansas City versus Philadelphia. And then um, last week, Atlanta versus New Orleans. Both were off their bye. All four went under. It's now gone 2-15 and under in the last five seasons. And that's a pretty good start for us. But also the fact that, hey, it's one of these games in the NFL in which the road team is favored. We all know what that means. A very, very high percentage of unders. Even in non-conference games like this one here, NFC Conference, road favorites of eight or less, that's the Vikings, versus an AFC Conference opponent, that's the Raiders, have gone 4-18-1 over-under in the last four years when the over underline is 47 or less points. Again, with both of these teams already down to their second or third-string quarterback, our choice is clear. We're going low. In Las Vegas in the Raiders-Vikings game.
2: Victor goes under the total Raiders-Vikings for his complimentary play on the show this week. You can check out everything Victor does online at playbooksports.com or log on at playbookexperts.com for all of Victor's complimentary videos when it comes to over-under handicapping. And while you're there at Playbook Experts' YouTube channel, be sure to hit the subscribe button. We'd love to have you be a subscriber to our show It means a lot to us. If you subscribe, just click on it. There's no fee, no charge, and we'll keep you notified about what's going on here at Mark Lawrence against the spread. With that, before I get to my complimentary play on the card this week, I want to remind everybody out there that I'm releasing my NFL top underdog play of the year this Sunday. It's right on the heels of our college football conference play of the year last week when Alabama took down Georgia in straight up fashion We've got another live dog on the NFL card Sunday we see winning the game in straight-up fashion. You can pick it up at playbooksports.com or join me for another fan appreciation weekend of winners by calling my office toll-free now at 1-800-321-7777. With that, my complimentary play in the NFL, we're going to go to a game we talked a little bit about before inside the NFC South when the Atlanta Falcons host the Tampa Bay Bucks. We mentioned that Atlanta is the current number four seed in the NFC uh, playoff picture right now because they currently sit atop the division, but a win here by Tampa would put Tampa on top in that division where they're coming in as the number 10 seed. They would vault all the way to the number four seed coming into the football game. I like the way the Bucs have turned things around here. Baker Mayfield's playing some pretty good football right now. He's not getting a lot of credit for what he's done here of late, but if you look at him, his quarterback rating is over 90 in his last six starts He's putting some pretty good football together. In fact, I think he's playing the best quarterbacking of any team inside that division here. Tampa Bay 9-1 to the spread in the first of back-to-back road games and also 4-0 straight up and against the spread in division games when they come in off a win-no-cover. For the Atlanta Falcons, they're leaking oil, and from those of you who follow our midweek alert statistical newsletter, you know exactly what that means. That means the Atlanta Falcons are favored, and have been out yarded in each of the last three football games. It's not a healthy role for teams to be in. The Falcons also 0 6 to the spread when they're coming off a road win as a favorite. With that, we're going to take the points of the Tampa Bay Bucks as they upend Atlanta for our complimentary play on the show this week. And that's going to put the final wraps on this edition of Mark Lawrence Against the Spread. I want to thank our co host Victor King from King Creel Sports. Andy Isco joining us from TheLogicalApproach.com in Las Vegas and our good friend Jim Feist, the living legend in Las Vegas, for all of their input on the show this week. Until next week, once again, this is Mark Lawrence reminding you to always to remember to bet with your head, not over it, and good luck as always.